0: And away we go. Welcome into The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. Stepping up to The Dish today is Jenny Butler, NFBC player, contributor at Fantrax.com, and author of a piece in this year's FTN 5-Tool MLB Draft Guide. You can find her on Twitter, at JennyButler830. Jenny, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for taking the time to chat today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I think this is going to be fun.
0: It's uh, our first time chatting, uh, really, other than a Twitter conversation back and forth. So I appreciate uh, the the jumping in. You use the phrase before we start recording of jumping in with both feet to talk strategy here today. What's what's your favorite format in fantasy baseball? What what is it? Is it five by five roto? Is it head to head? What do you look to play when you're playing fantasy baseball?
1: Uh, for me, I think it's definitely Roto, first and foremost. Um, that's what I started out playing. Um, my home league that I've been playing in for about 20 years, it's been going on for about 25, and I've been in it for about 20, um, is a 6 by 6 Roto league that is a hybrid format of eight rounds of auction, and then the rest of it is snake draft. And I, I really like appreciate the auction part, and I – Gravitate toward auctions if possible. I really love doing the NFBC auctions in Vegas, but for me, an auction has to be done live, so that does limit the the scope of the number of auctions and the places you can do them. But um, I really love roto. I don't I don't enjoy head to head particularly. I um I I don't like the the luck factor of a week by week sort of sure. scoring because especially in baseball, it's it's so temperamental, you know, week to week, you just never know what you're going to get from just a single week of at bats or a one pitching performance. So I like Roto and, uh, I can, I like to auction if I can.
0: Yeah. Auction I think is the, the great equalizer, right? Uh, snake draft. There's a lot of luck and a lot of stupidity drafting in <laughs> behind you or in front of you. Uh, I do agree. I like that setup of eight, Rounds of auction and then changing it up. I think that's really smart in an approach and one I'm going to write down here and, and uh, use in, in future uh, leagues. I will say head-to-head points leagues, if you're going to play, I always say all play. You play every team every week. Helps reduce the luck factor a little bit that you, you're playing everyone. So you don't have that one head-to-head where you score great but lose because the other team has a, a, a astronomical week. How do you go about contest selection? for the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, for NFBC. I think, just a caveat here, people who are new to NFBC think it's one contest or think it's sort of like this very specific way to play. But you go into that lobby and there is all sorts of different contests, different contest types, different approaches. How do you go about contest selection?
1: So for me, the first thing I start with is the number of fab leagues that I'm going to do. Because you cannot, you will get, you will make yourself miserable during the season, if you are doing too many fab leagues. So I limit it to, I think I wanted to make it five this year. I think I may end up with six, (laughs) uh, six is manageable. I would rather had five, but that's all right. Um, and then I tried Then the next thing I do is I try it as I go to the Vegas list, I go to Vegas every year and draft MPC and those are my priorities. So I think this year I'm going to draft four leagues in Vegas, uh, two auctions and two main events. And then um, beyond that, I, I don't do a lot of draft champions. I know that that's the draft and hold where you can't do any fab. You're just 50 rounds and you keep your team all year. I don't do a ton of those. Some people like to use those as draft prep and do many, many, many of them. Yep. But I think that you can really get yourself into trouble with setting lineups. If you have 30 different lineups to set both Monday and Friday, there is no way that you are paying enough attention to each one. So I will maybe do one draft champions and then I do fill in, you know, as draft prep and things with some best balls because best ball is, is so easy. You know, you, you do the draft and really the draft is the best part. We all love yes. the draft, right? Yep. So uh, I do those to get some drafts in and then, you know, you just draft it and then you forget about it. You just, you know, I go back and check on it, but there's no in-season management at all. So I fill in with that.
0: Yeah, I think, and that's a great, differentiation between the dcs which are 50 rounds but you're setting lineups best ball where you're not setting lineups really if you're new to NFBC and listening to this take the time to look at the contests right like don't just dive in because your favorite analyst tweeted out a link to it uh or someone challenged you to a 150 or a 300 uh whatever it might be take the time research it know the rules know how it's all going to be and jenny i think you're spot on we all have lives outside. Well, most of us have lives outside of fantasy baseball. <laughs> um, maybe some don't, but you have to be mindful of what time you have. And and that is really a great point on strategy of contest selection is what can I actually get done week over week to be competitive in these and which will make me dead money, right? Uh, which will be where I can't handle fab or I can't handle setting a lineup. I, I think that's great advice for anyone out there playing any sort of fantasy sport. Now, a lot of, NFBC ends up being League of Leagues, which I use as a term to mean I have my league 12 to 15 teams. And then of course, there's an overall prize for the team that is best of that contest. Does that change your approach to drafting compared to your home league uh, compared to how you might play in just a single redraft league and how you go about overall team management?
1: Not as much as what I hear some other people talk about, you know, some people talk about, you know, in an overall contest, I need to have some uh, more upside players, more chances of breakout, you know, if I have Mondesi, for instance, on my team, and he stays healthy all year, it's going to be a lead winner for me, it's going to put me in contention for the overall. And... I don't see it that way. I try to mitigate risk when I'm looking at an overall. I want to stay balanced. I want to stay safe. I want to stay, you know, and then you can kind of grind out, you know, putting in the work week after week to get yourself up into the, you know, overall contention, you know, Phil Dussault, who we all like to talk about this off season, you know, he didn't have, you know, Shohei Otani. He didn't have Vlad. He didn't have Salvador Perez on many of his teams. You know, he had, Guys that were, you know, he grinded out, you know, ground, grinded out um, <laughs> Either profits works. on, you know, his first, you know, 10 rounds of picks return value. They didn't give him a huge profit. And then the later picks were where he got all of his profit. So I like to stay pretty safe because at, at least I want to be in contention. You know, if you're, if you have Mondesi and he's out the first week of the season, you've kind of thrown that team away. And right. I just, I want to be in it all year.
0: Well, I think you made the, obviously, you know how you play, but for listeners, I hope you can see the correlation there between how Jenny plays, how many leagues she plays, and how she drafts. There are people out there who are going to play 200 leagues and draft a variety of players and different constructions and different risk profiles and all of those different things. That's not how I play. I don't play till I'll play five, six, maybe seven leagues. And I'm, I'm right there with you, Jenny. I want to be balanced. I want to be able to make moves that help me out, but aren't absolutely necessary just to stay afloat. Um, so I, I think that's a really good point of knowing how you play, knowing how many leagues you're playing in, and then drafting accordingly uh, as you go through.
1: Yeah. And one other thing, it kind of relating back to contest selection, you know, there are le- there are types of overall contests, like draft champions, for instance, that um, have different price points to enter. Right. So you'll have $150 DCs, $400, $1,000, $2,500. And those actually sort of I ch- change the way I play. You know, $150 Draft Champions, a large portion of your entry fee, a larger portion, is going into the overall, whereas $1,000 Draft Champions, a very small portion of your entry fee is going in. And so those leagues can be treated more like a standalone league and you can play them more like a standalone league if you choose to.
0: I think that's a great point. Uh I make DFS analogies a lot. Daily fantasy, your ha- contest selection matters, how much money is going uh to the to the house, to DraftKings or FanDuel or whoever, how much money is in the prize pool, how many people are winning at the top end of it, uh difference between 50/50s and and head to heads and all that. Now we've talked a little bit well a lot already about nfbc what's the biggest mistake you see people make what what's the biggest either contest selection drafting whatever it might be if you were to sit down with someone say hey don't do this if you're joining any of these contests what would it be
1: um a couple things come to mind the first is you need to know the rules you need to understand the format you know i i went not to Call anybody out, but I went. You know, I went to first first pitch Arizona, and I participated in the best ball draft there. And I've been playing in the best ball there. I played in it last year, and, and Cutline and NFBC is also a similar scoring format. And you know, we got to the draft, and we all sit down. And granted, it's not for money; it was for fun. But we sit down, and almost nobody in the draft knew what the scoring setup was. Right. And I went in and read off the scoring to everybody in the room before we started to make sure that people knew what scoring was you know i think that people thought this is a points league and so they thought that walks you know for instance had points and in the nfbc points league format walks are not scored any points it's much more uh, set up to resemble roto scoring and so you know you have to know things like that when you go in and you know you have to Think about the fact that you know in NFBC there's no trading and there's you know right. the, all this fab and managing your fab. So you just have to have the right mindset going in to know what you're what you're getting into. Yep. But the other thing that I mostly see, and this is I think even from some of the top players that I listen to on podcasts and stuff, is I just think that there is um, some big egos, and I think that it can be very detrimental to think that you know everything yep. going into the draft you have your opinion on a player and you are stead set on it and this is what it's going to happen and i think that i don't think that way and i think that that's you know an edge that i have is that you know i can look at a player and say well what's his 10 percent outcome versus his 90 percent outcome and what are the odds of those two things happening yep and you know it it helps you sort of think through what the possibilities are and it's not just like this guy's going to be terrible this year or this guy's going to be great and i know because i've been playing NFPC for 10 years and i've won money and you know i think that you need to be open to changing your mind changing your strategy and not thinking that you know everything
0: yeah i could name i think i could name some twitter handles that you might be referring to <laughs> but we'll, we'll keep that we'll keep that off uh the recording here I think that's spot on. I, I think no one draft strategy is going to win every year and being, uh, you know, agile in drafting uh, to use a, a, a technical term in business, uh, you know, uh, to be agile, to be open to change, to be uh, light on your feet is great. And the points thing uh, I mentioned before we started recording, my good friend, Joe PCP who will be on the podcast later on. Uh, he and I have been, have been podcasting since 2008 together in some way, shape or form about fantasy baseball. First episode we ever did was know the rules. Know your league rules. If you don't know your league rules, don't draft. Like, don't don't show up. Because if if you don't know what you're doing, there could be those nuances you're talking about, about walks. There could be those little bits that are going to make you a, a dead team because you're not paying attention to it. Now, we can transition. We talked to NFBC. We talked about what what your approach is there to an extent. I know we talked before we started recording that you are just getting into the weeds on player projection on your, on your uh, spreadsheets for the year. So we're going to talk a little bit more higher level here. But... What stats do you most heavily look at? Is it, you know, just a a overall look and you're projecting across everything. Is there something that you think is more predictive than others when trying to project for the upcoming year?
1: So I don't create my own projections. Um, I tried to do that. I actually went through the process of one offseason, probably 2017 or so, of trying to from scratch create my own projections using um, Tanner Bell's approach. You know, he puts yep. out some software, it's great software if you want to try and do it, that's definitely the place to start. But, you know, I spent, you know, probably the months of November, December, January, February just trying to get through the player sure. pool. There's so many and, you know, so I went from that to trying to just do like a look at every player, a fairly deep dive on every player. And I ended up with the same thing, spending four months just going player by player and not really getting anything out of it. You know, I would yep. find a nugget on somebody here or there, but, you know, I wasn't really getting any further than I was without doing that. And it was just felt like it wasn't a good use of my time. So I went uh, the last couple years to just relying on a projection system that I trust. Um, I mostly use ATC. I do download the bat and steamer to sort of have in front of me and master's balls, uh, Togzolos. Yep. Um, But, you know, I, I just, I let them, you know, do that work for me. And you know a lot of the underlying stats all the statcast stuff all the you know fangraph stuff you find on a fangraphs page a lot of that is already factored Let's in so i yep. don't i don't need to go and look at everybody's deep dive you know on all their little underlying statistics to figure out what they're going to do because i can look at the projections and that work is already done Yep So really the thing that i use the most is SGP you know, I, I take the projections, I calculate uh, SGP, SGP over replacement. So you have to look into what the replacement level is uh, in your league for the depth, you know, of your league. And then, you know, I let that sort of guide me because one thing that SGP does really well is it compares different types of profiles to each other. So, you know, it can compare an Aaron Judge to a Miles Straw and one who are so different, and it's hard to wrap your head around who's really more valuable for my team. When you look at SGP, you know, standings, gains points, you can see that, you know, a a steal is worth, you know, two home runs or something. I don't know if those are the right numbers. But you know, you can see that, like, how much more valuable somebody who gets this number of steals and this number of home runs is compared to somebody who just hits 40 home runs. And things like average it can help incorporate you know how valuable somebody's projected average is for your team
0: so yeah as you you did point out there standings gain points uh is and correct me if i'm wrong here is is the art <laughs> to a certain extent the process of converting statistics into their roto points right into yes. what they represent as a, a rotisserie score
1: yes so essentially you'll have um you know if you look as if you have back uh, results from your right. league if you're in a home league or stuff and you have historical results that's perfect you can go back and look and see how many steals did it take to move up one point in the standings so maybe the answer is three so you know that somebody who hits you know who has 21 steals will move you up seven points in standings things like that and you just add their individual sgps for each category that you score and then it adds up into one total number
0: Thank you for the explanation. As we continue on here, uh, you are doing more content this year, right? I, I, I will admit I don't know your whole content history when it comes to fantasy baseball. But I'm wondering, I, sort of a two-part question here, do you think that will change your approach at all? providing more insight to other people and going on podcasts and being a part of uh, quote unquote, the industry in that way. And have you seen anything emerging yet that has caught your eye or in discussions with other people uh, so far and creating the content that you have?
1: Yeah. So the draft guide that I did for FTN is actually the first thing I've ever written. I had done a few podcasts before then. Um, and then I've talked to Eric cross about doing some writing for fan tracks in the upcoming season. Um, I generally don't provide, I'm, I'm not good at providing a lot of <laughs> player-specific content. You know, sure. it's just not my breaking down, like, as I sort of described before, breaking down players is not really my strength. So a lot of what I talk about is strategy, and um, I'm not really going to change that. I don't think that, you know, talking about the best strategy, I'm not going to either talk about the strategy that I don't really believe in, or change and do something that I don't think is best just because I already talked about it. Yep. So, you know, I think it's just kind of out there and you know, I'm not really saying anything to be honest, that, that other people don't already know. It's just that, you know, I think it helps some of the you know people getting into it for the first time and things like that to sort of think about things that maybe they weren't before, but you know, it, i it's going to be, I'm going to do what I'm going to do regardless. Got
0: it. <laughs> well, I, I told you before we started recording and, and full uh, disclosure to everyone listening, I've done podcasting for years. I've done content for years. I've always been more on the host side than the analyst side. Full admission there. Um, I'm largely doing this so I can have conversations with really smart people about the upcoming fantasy uh, baseball season so I can get prepared. And I, I'm trying to turn that into hopefully help for other people out there in the world. I, I wonder as you do more conversations, though, if things will emerge that uh, you know start to give you what the field is looking at, right? Not necessarily how you're yeah. approaching it, but will you start to get a better idea of, oh, this is the sort of consensus, consensus approach or the off-track or whatever it might be?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, trends in ADP this year, like mm-hmm. things like closures going really early, right. maybe starting pitching being a little deeper than it was last year. Um, and, you know, third base being a, a position that's particularly shallow, things like that. And some of it agree I, w- I agree with and some of it I don't. Um, you know, the, the discussion about closers, I think that it's sort of meaningless to discuss whether you think closers should be going at a certain price or not, because the price is the price. Yep. So either you're going to pay it or you're not. And I think that people, sort of what I said about overconfidence before, I think that people that say, I just refuse on principle. for a closer at a high price well i don't think i think that's sort of a lazy answer i think that you're you know you're not doing the work to decide whether you think that that's really a value or not and in some cases i think it is a good value you know people think about only think about the draft value of those closers and thinking i can take shots later i can you know and pay such a i can pay a cheap price and get a mark melanson like people did in 2021 but, you know, the odds of that are not great. Right. If you don't hit it, you're spending an incredible amount of your fab money trying to make up for it. And nobody sort of factors in that as part of the cost. You know, I might be paying a third round price for a Josh Hader, but I'm also not paying $600 out of my $1,000 fab to try and get saves during the year. And it's the amount of effort and money and just roster churning that it takes to get a closer that works out for you and sort of, you know, nickel and dime your way up to 30 saves, it's, it's, I, to me, it's not worth it, I, you know, I, and, and, just go ahead.
0: No, it's, I just love that you're connecting. And I, I think most analysts do this, but you're connecting the draft to, to fab and di- like directly connecting the two things as not one and the same, but part a and part B of the process. I think there are a lot of individual players who draft and then worry about fab. And then worry about in-season management. And I, I think it's a great note here, speci- specifically on closers and value and doing the work of, is a third round price tag for Hayter the right price tag? And if it is, then draft him. And if you don't think it is, then don't. And not digging your heels in and saying, I just don't draft closers in the third round. Because those are the yeah. same people who are saying, I don't draft a starting pitcher in the first round. And, mm-hmm. you know, I won't, you know, in fantasy football, I won't draft a quarterback or like, it's just once you start saying I won't, it's a whole growth mindset idea, right? Once you say I can't, you're, you're shut off to any possibility of, of growing. So I didn't mean to cut you off there if you had uh, a further point.
1: No, I was just going to sort of take it into the the discussion about starting pitching and where starting pitching is yes, going. Please. And I, I think that, um you know, I hear a lot of people saying, there's just so many starting pitchers this year. I can wait. I I, you know, I can wait on starting pitching. Maybe, maybe I'll take one or two at the start and then I'm going to wait and I'm going to get a bunch of guys sort of in the middle. And I think that there is a lot of um, ideas this year that, that some of these middle round starting pitchers are very safe and that we think we know what they're going to do. Right. And I'm, maybe it's just sort of a gut feeling, but I'm, I'm not as confident in all of those starting pitchers as other people seem to be, you know, just, the first thing that pops into my head is Shane McClanahan. And, you know, I liked him last year. I I even had had drafted him on a couple of draft champions teams last year, and he was great. But to take what he did last year and say that you know exactly what he's going to be in 2021 is risky to me. So, you know, I like to take guys that I know, and I like to have sort of a stable base of starting pitching. And I don't think that just – Foregoing the starting pitching altogether at the beginning of the draft and waiting and trying to just load up on a bunch of those middle guys, you might only get say half of them that work out. And you know, where's that going to leave you?
0: Yep. I, I think it's spot on. I will also say if you are hearing podcasts, you're talking about your redraft league or you're going to the NFBC and you are hearing over and over again, that starting pitching is deeper. You're going to be in a draft room with people who feel the same way and thus are going to be sniping you in some way, mm-hmm. or, or t- like so. You have to be ready for the contrarian. I, I hate that word to a large extent because I I don't mean full contrarian. You're not going to be drafting, you know, your your corner infielder in the first round and projecting, uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar in the second. But you're you need to be able to to change your course when you see how the draft room is unfolding. That's not to say just avoid it. But just think differently, and I think, Jenny, you're hitting that spot on. I want to ask you one more sort of overall strategy question. I do have some 1v1s. Uh, I am a head-to-head points fan, so I do like going head-to-head with some of these players. I know that's not your forte, but we can have some fun with it quickly. Um, In Roto, typically, two catchers, five outfielders, right? Mm -hmm. So that is not how everyone plays home leagues. You know, you'll see a lot of home leagues that have one catcher, three outfielders, uh, more mimic, you know, quote-unquote, real baseball is there any particular approach you have to catchers? And again, I know you're not going to be hard and fast with it. You might you know, move around different leagues, but is there a certain approach that you might take with either catchers or outfielders because of sort of the expanded rostering of multiple at each position?
1: Yeah, I used to not worry about it with outfielders so much, um, but I think that the increase in platooning that's happening yep. around MLB is making it so that there are not as many full-time reliable outfielders as there used to be. So I will I'm not I don't have a specific strategy strategy for it, but I do sort of keep it in mind. You know, I try to not not forget about it for too long. You know, I'll get one kind of early and then one kind of in the middle and then try to make sure that I'm filling up my outfield before the drop-off happens. And one thing that I do in general um, that I talked about in that draft guide is looking at each position and how it breaks down and sort of looking at where the last guy is that I'm comfortable with in my starting lineup where he's being drafted and try to make sure that I'm getting my lineup filled before that point. So, you know, if I, if the last outfielder that I feel comfortable with is being drafted in round 20, well, then I need to really look at trying to get my outfield filled before round 20, which may or may not be easy. You know, I, am sure all the players in round 20 or better are going to be better than the ones 20 to 30, but you know, there are places to take positions early and places to wait um and for catchers I I am personally am somebody who drafts catchers a little bit on the early side. Okay. Um usually I'll get one that I like up front and then maybe I'll wait a little on the second one, but last year in particular that kind of bit me. I ended up um streaming my second catcher in one of my main events all year. And it was just a pain because as soon as I picked one up, the one that I dropped came through, like at one point I picked up and dropped Elias Diaz and he probably, I probably should have hung on to him and, you know, picking up guys that are hurt and not hurt. It's it's a pain. So I try to, um, you know, manage it pretty well and make sure that I'm not, you know, streaming as much as possible. In a 12 team league, it's not as important because you there are, then you only have 24 of them right. drafted. Um I definitely don't like to carry a catcher on my bench, so that also sort of makes a difference in trying to get two that yeah. I can rely on because I certainly don't want to have a third one on my bench if I can help it.
0: Yeah, streaming catchers is painful. Uh, like it's gotten worse and worse to try to project and you're looking at okay, Matchups are lefty, lefty, righty, righty. Okay, I might get three games from this guy. Then there's a day game after a night game. I'm going to project out. Oh, wait, they have a catcher on their taxi squad who <laughs> might catch two. And uh, that just gets really dicey. I-, I tend to try to get same way two catchers that I can trust at least to get the majority of at bats. Platoons are rampant, obviously, with catchers. And obviously, if you can ever find a catcher who has other positional eligibility or will gain it during the year, that becomes such a, an ad, uh, advantage uh, at times to have someone who's playing first base or the outfield or, or something along those uh, lines. I'm going to skip two questions. Uh, we, we're running out of time. I'm trying to keep this to about 30 minutes. We did talk about, before we started recording, that you haven't done your spreadsheets, so we don't need to talk about your players or people you're avoiding. I do want to do some quick here, and it can just be gut check – who you like more between these uh, players I'm throwing out. It's is, uh, v- uh, via Fantasy Pros Consensus ADP, which is as of today, January 26th. Uh, Fantrax, NFBC, and I want to say R- RTC, I think are the three that are reporting ADP right now. That'll grow over time. ESPN will come in. Yahoo will come in and all those things. Uh, so again, these numbers can be vastly different if you're listening sometime in March or, or wherever it might be. But we start with a fun one because... I don't think you go wrong here. uh, But Juan Soto or Vlad Guerrero Jr., is there one that you prefer over the other?
1: Uh, I prefer Juan Soto um, just because of the small amount of seals that he can chip in. You know, if he gets 10 or 12, that can really help out over the course of a season. Um, But just as a little side note, you know, best ball, I think that, you know, somebody like Vlad Guerrero can be really valuable because in best ball, it's points based and you don't need to have a category balance. So I would say, you know, Vlad can be a really good choice for best ball. But over in a regular Roto League, I'll take Juan Soto.
0: Perfect. And I think that's the caveat you need there is to talk about the different league types and and, and scoring types. Uh, Luis Castillo at 65 or Max Fried at 66?
1: I don't have a strong opinion sure. about this Neither one. do I. <laughs> um, Luis Castillo, I've been comfortable with drafting for years. So I'm not as scared of him as some other people seem to be, although he's not great for whip and I, you know, Trying to keep an eye on my whip is something I need to keep a better eye on this year. So I think I'm going to say Max Freed just by a hair.
0: Okay, uh, Ryan Mountcastle or Max Muncy.
1: I personally am completely. If you, I said I didn't really have people I was out on yet, but Max Muncy is one okay. of them because uh, of the uncertainty with his injury. Yep. It seemed you know first it just his elbow was sort of injured, and then all of a sudden it was a UCL tear. That's scary. So he may need Tommy John surgery, and obviously that's not a, as big a deal for hitters as it is for pitchers, but it would put him out all year. So I'm just not going to take a chance this early in the offseason, and I will just stick with him. I actually do like Ryan Mountcastle, too. He, um, he's um he got dual eligibility, which is always something I like, yep. and so I'm pretty strong on Ryan Mountcastle on that one.
0: I'm going to pick on the New York Mets here. Uh their former shortstop and their current uh a Rosario uh, or utility player for Ed- Eduardo Escobar. Um 177 for Rosario had the pedigree for a while, right? We kept hearing that the the Steels were going to be there and he'd hit 280 and maybe some pop later in life. Cleveland maybe a resurrection of that and then you have Eduardo Escobar at uh, 180.
1: I don't feel super strongly about this one either, but I'm going to go with Rosario. Um just because of the potential for more steals, I believe. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but um, Escobar, I feel like, has... Now, this is purely gut feeling, so grain of salt. But I (laughs) sort of feel like Escobar has the potential to fall into more of a utility role. Yeah. You know, especially if somebody like J.D. Davis steps up and and is playing well. So I'm going to stick with Rosario. But again, that's I'm sort of wishy-washy on that one.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued by where Escobar's at-bats really do come from. Um, I know they have him at third base on the depth chart right now, and you do have Jeff McNeil there. You have some pieces that could be moved around in J.D. Davis, and I think he might end up being a super utility, which – gets at bats, right? Somebody who moves around the infield a lot. Uh, but I I would agree with you there that I would lean Rosario uh, of those two. And again, ADP right next to each other. They're being drafted near each other for a reason. So we are nitpicking here largely uh, between these two. Uh, final one is catchers. So we've talked about catchers already. This, I feel like people have actual passionate takes on these names. Um, Travis D'Arno, Mitch Garver, and Mike Zanino. Now, these have been league winners and absolute dogs at different times in their careers. Uh, Mitch Garver was the next great thing a couple of years ago for the twins and then couldn't find it again. Is there one of these catchers that you prefer to have on your roster?
1: yeah so i mostly try to stay away from catchers that will absolutely tank my batting average Yep. and zanino falls into that category you know i can handle somebody hitting 230 or 240 as my catcher but if you're hitting like 200 mm-hmm. it's that's real hard to get over so i'm going to kind of eliminate him one thing i do a lot of times with players that are similar like this is sort of do a process of elimination like look at reasons not to like a guy more than reasons to like him and sort of you know eliminate yourself down to a choice but between Darno and Garver, I think that's also something that can be very format specific. So, Travis Darno, I think, plays well when he's playing and then he gets hurt. So, you'll have sort of chunks of time where he'll be playing and not playing. Yep. Whereas Mitch Garver might get like half of the games per week. So, I feel like Mitch Garver might be better for like a best ball format where you just let the scoring happen and let him, you know, you just let it happen and see how many games he plays that week. And if he has a good scoring week, then he's in your lineup. And if he doesn't, he's not. Whereas Darno, I think, is better for Roto because you can play him when he's healthy, bench him or preferably drop him when he's not healthy, and you get sort of more of these more predictable sort of chunks of time.
0: I like it. And I think, uh, again, the caveat here, you're largely – trading a couple of points here and there on most of these guys adp is not the end-all be-all you're not worrying about where they're being drafted you're worrying about where they're finishing right that that's what you're projecting towards is where they are on september 30th or whatever the end of the the year is this year um but i i like it i like the breakdown i really appreciate the way you approach the game jenny i appreciate the conversation i appreciate um your what what's your background did i read you're a technical writer is that is that yeah, the career? so you don't I'm, have to go my, into details, but
1: <laughs> I'm a chemist uh, by profession, oh. and I, I work a lot in the lab. But I have been lately doing um, some training of military, and I do some writing for them. So I know that uh, Vlad brought it up in the draft guide that I do some technical writing. Just because I warned him ahead of time that you know I, I don't know how my technical writing background is going to we'll translate, translate into yep. writing about fantasy because technical writing is so different. Um, but I don't have much of a writing background at all, so um, I'm I'm a lab person. I'm I'm a chemist.
0: That's fantastic. And I think uh, I I my thought process in listening to you was you have a scientific approach, not <laughs> no pun there, but you have a very meticulous approach to how you play fantasy baseball. I think there are a lot of people who just go, I like to draft, and they go in yeah. with their their magazine, they slam it down on the table, and they figure it out. Um, but you break it down, and I think uh, the conversation for me was fantastic. I hope everyone enjoys listening. Where can people find more from you in the future? I know you're doing a ton of podcasts. You're, you're out there uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, where can people find more from you?
1: Yeah. So probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Jenny Butler, eight three zero. Um, like I said, we've mentioned the, the five tool fantasy draft guide from FTN is, was my first writing assignment. And I'm going to, uh, hopefully do some writing for fan and rotoballer this upcoming season. Um, but you can feel free to reach out to me on Twitter if you want. And, uh, that's about it. Some that's podcasts it. here and there, podcast guest appearances. There
0: you go. That's uh, that's a way to build it up and uh, make <laughs> sure, you're, to your point, you're doing as much as you can, and that's it. Not over-indexing on creating content or uh, appearing on podcasts. I think you got that on lockdown. I don't worry about that from you. Me, I might over-index a little bit. But nonetheless, appreciate you being on. Until next time, happy drafting, everybody.